Hello and welcome to the Right For Your Life podcast with me, Ian Broom, and you, not you, you're listening, with Donna Sorensen. Hello. You all right? Mm, yeah. Kind of. Have the trouble. Do you want me to go into... <laughs> I mean... How much detail do you want me to go into about how I'm feeling right now? Because I've like been very to, ill this week. I'd like to keep the information above your waist. Well, I was wondering if it was um, suitable to use the word vomit in a podcast, but I'm not sure whether it is. I think that there have been much worse words than vomit used on this podcast alone, never mind podcasts in general. Oh, well, I have, I've had a very vomity week and um i you know when you go through that stage after you've had like horrible sickness where you you don't eat anything for the next day you just kind of like smell melons and 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 dribble a little bit of squash into your mouth and that's it i was like that yesterday smell melons well because you you feel like maybe you should have a bit of melon because it's the first thing you can manage and then you don't you just don't really fancy it when it comes to actually eating it i don't know maybe it's just me I had I had two bites of melon yesterday, and then yeah, today I'm back on the on the food again. So anyway, thanks for asking. It's um it's been a tough week, but I'm all right. Look at look what I'm doing. I'm podcasting anyway. Like a hero. Yeah, totally. That's how much it means to me. Tremendous. Well, I'm sorry that you've been feeling a little rough and that you've been um uh, only confined to um melons in your eatering world eatering eating world um but we've got some important writing stuff to talk about yeah yeah because i mean you know despite being ill there's lots lots going on out there isn't there there's book trailers for example that we'd like to talk about there was a kerfuffle about that last week wasn't there yeah sparked by an article in the guardian is that correct yeah nice interesting article that i read in the guardian about it did you have the the pleasure of reading that article as well I had a quick look, and book trailers are something that I've thought about before, and I saw that there was a furore about it on Twitter as well. Oh, was it? Do you know, I don't think I saw the furore on Twitter. Well, you were busy. <laughs> yeah. I was only looking at the inside of the toilet. Yeah. Um, oh, right. Was that after this article or before? I think it was sparked by the article. I think that was the um, the, the gist of things, that the, the article. They're just, I don't know, book trailers. These things go round in circles, don't they? In cycles, sorry. You get, you know, there's only so many subjects that we can all talk about. So it was the turn, for, it was a book trailer's turn again. Yeah. All right. Okay, cool. Well, we shall uh, investigate. We will. And then if you remember from last week, which I'm sure you do, um, a chap called Linus Edwards on Twitter asked me about how I logistically am going about writing my novel, as in my second one, uh, things like outlining, writing out of order, character sketches, etc. That's a direct quote from him. Um, so we're both going to talk a bit about how we approach logistically writing, in my case, a novel, and in your case, um, poetry. We're going to have a little chat about that later, are we not? We are. Um, and if we get time, although this might go on to next week, um, possibly, um, is I asked a question on Twitter earlier today, should authors review other authors' books? And um, and I got quite a few responses, and, and um, so I'd like to talk about that because it's something I've been quite wary of and um, I'm wondering whether I should be but I certainly um, had some reservations about doing such a thing um, about reviewing other people I thought, I've been thinking about doing it on on my YouTube channel and I was just wasn't sure wasn't sure if it was a little bit kind of uncomfortable um, so we might so we might squeeze that in if possible yes good but, but first but first hang um, on a minute you want to tell us how the wilderness festival went because you were off there um, 
doing your stuff, weren't you? I did my about stuff. Mental illness. It was about mental illness. I did it on. It was on Sunday. Um, 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 I mentioned this last week. I said I report back. I was reading at the Wilderness Festival, which is a turns out a relatively small festival and i and i say that comparing it to something like glastonbury it's obviously quite a big festival but um uh, in uh, in general terms but um uh, having been, only been to glastonbury for the last decade i've been to others in fact this is this is my, my my the way i think about wilderness i think it's only been going a few years three years i think and it's got quite a reputation as being quite middle class and you know you can buy a chorizo and halloumi wrap, for instance. That's one of the stalls, and uh, <laughs> and very tasty it was too. Um, and um, and and so it, it's such it was quite different to what I've previously known. So, for instance, I first went to the first festival I went to was uh, Leeds Festival, and I think 1997. And on the last night, um, it'd been very rainy. On the last night, um, at around midnight. Everyone on my campsite, um, not everyone, but enough people to make me terrified, started shaking the lighting. So there's a strips of lighting that go up the paths in most festivals so people can see what they're doing. And they all started shaking um, and they got pulled down and then people started setting bins on fire. And, <laughs> and um, it was in the news. It was very, you know, it was it was it was mainstream newsworthy. And um and me and my pals, who were, you know, we were 16 and 17 years old, we decided that we probably weren't going to stay there for very much longer, even though it was now 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. And so we slept in a multi-storey car park next to Lee's train station. Um, so that was my first experience. And then I've been to Glastonbury many times since, and um, that's kind of, it has hippie roots, but it's becoming more middle class. But if I can if I can sort of place wilderness on this festival map, um, when I was ordering fish and chips towards the end of the evening, which cost £10, I might add, um, the person in front of me whose order uh, they were waiting for, the people, they were waiting for the order, and when the person who was serving the fish and chips came back, they shouted, Flora! And then the other name that they shouted was uh, Rupert! And, um, and, I, and I thought, this is, uh, this is a world away from those bins that were on fire. But, <laughs> But that's not how saying far I did, you've come, how far the I've glamour come. of it all. Indeed, but I I thoroughly enjoy myself, and I would much rather be there than many, 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 many other places. And um and, and it was great. I highly recommend people go to go to the festival. The event itself was about mental health, and I was worried, if you remember last week, about whether I could speak on a topic <laughs> confidently when I wasn't, when I haven't had any kind of first hand experience of working in mental health or or kind of um, certainly personal mental health problems, um and. I can't wait to know what you actually what you said. Like, <laughs> did you uh, did you just what, what did you do? Mm. Well, we had we had a really good audience. That's the first thing to say. So we were, you never know who's going to turn up. I've done events when I've had five people turn up, and I'm not exaggerating. And you have to kind of just troop on and and do your best. Uh, but there must have been about eighty odd people there. It was fantastic. Oh wow. Uh, I was on a panel with Nathan Filer, who's written The Shock of the Fall, and Martin Bannister, who's written a, a great book called uh, A Map of Nowhere. And, um, and those two have experience in mental health, and I didn't. And, um, and, and the conversation went well. I mean, it was, it was absolutely fine, because you can... It was, I, I talked about... You know, I was honest about it for a start. I didn't start handing out medical advice, because um, <laughs> that would have been terrible. Um, 
So I, I said, you know, it, um, the book isn't directly about mental health, but I can understand, you know, why people might interpret certain parts of it, or the narrator, Gordon, as having mental health problems. And so I said about research and making sure that it was plausible and about the fact that I'd sent a finished draft off to a, um, a, a specialist speech therapist to assess the bits that were medical or certainly used medical terms and that kind of thing. So I was able to talk around it in, in a kind of uh, referring to my book uh, uh, specifically, I guess. And it, and it was fine. It was really, really, really nice. Um, but the interest, the other interesting parts was afterwards, because afterwards you go to, um, well, you didn't always, but we, there was like a bookshop next to our tent and, um, there was a book signing so we all went and um and we signed loads of books and then you know all being well lots of people would come and want their books signed and it was quite interesting and i'm happy to admit this i'm sure the others would too is that we actually had a very poor conversion rate so around 80 people at an event is fantastic for literary events um especially at a festival there's lots of other stuff going on and mm. our conversion rate was actually quite poor so very few of those people actually came over and had their books signed and we were trying to think why this might be the case. And the most obvious thing I could think of was the fact that the three of us were kind of stood there with our books, all three of them. And how could anyone really come over having just watched a talk and say, oh, I'll have yours. But actually, I'm not too bothered about you two when we just stood there. Yeah, totally. Because you kind of have to go away with three, don't you? And one person did do that. And the poor woman, she stood there for ages and she, she kind of said, oh, this is awkward. And we went... <laughs> And we we said I, we kind of said yeah no you know you don't have to and that would you know it was said if you don't if you, if you don't want to buy all of them we understand feel free to um, you know the books will still be here we won't be here they're all signed anyway so feel free to uh, come back at another time and choose whichever one you want but she actually to a, to our to our delight she came back and bought all of them but oh um, bless her. she must have been mortified she was like oh god I have to go back those poor guys. Mm. Um, well, it's 30 yes. quid. It's about 30 quid to buy three books, isn't it? And then you've got to carry them around at a festival for the rest of the day. Well, that's it. I mean, that's another reason. I guess another thing is that when, you, when you're doing an event that's a literary event outside of a festival, people are coming specifically because they want to see you guys and, or find out more about your books or whatever, or writing. At a literary festival, you must have, or not a literary festival, a festival in general, you must have caught loads of um, just kind of passers-by and all sorts of people like that were just thought, oh, actually, that'd be quite cool to see. Exactly, and we were on at 12 o'clock um, uh, in the afternoon, and I think that helped because people would be waking up with hangovers on a Sunday morning and just wander over. I think people were genuinely interested in the subject, so the title... They may not have heard of us as authors, uh, some of them, or most of them, I imagine. Um, but they, the, the title of our event was called Method in Madness, and it was you know, about mental health and fiction, which I think people were probably interested in and just thought, well, that sounds quite interesting. Um, yeah. so, but, so the other thing, just to wrap up, that, was, uh, that happened was Nathan was talking about um, having done some hand-selling. He was there the day before doing some poetry, and he had seen a few people in the bookshop just looking at his book. And so he thought, well, I'll go over and speak to them. So he went over and said, oh, I, I wrote this. If you want, I'll, um, I'll, I'll sign it for you. And he said that he sold a, a, you know, a few books by doing that. Um, and then, and that, that's something that I've done before as well, if I've, if I've um, happened to have seen an event, someone looking at it and that kind of thing. I think it's a good idea to have the confidence to make that move. But um, I then sold a book later on in the day, several hours later, just before we were about to leave. I came out of the Portaloos, and um, as I came back, uh, my wife, Susie, she was there, I think you know her, and um, she was there with uh, Seth and Jasper, the twins, and she'd 
got talking to a woman who'd clearly come over because she was interested in Seth and Jasper, because a lot of people seem to be so. And um, and then her husband came out of the Portaloos, different Portaloo, and um, he uh, he came over, and so it was all a bit kind of, oh, hello, that kind of thing, talked about Seth and Jasper for a while, and then I can't remember why, but it, it wasn't me showing off. For some reason, I'd said, oh, actually, we only arrived today because I've been performing in a tent um, just over there. That sounds a bit euphemistic, doesn't it? Performing in a tent. I don't. It's actually true. And um, and uh, uh, and he said, "Oh, that's interesting. Is that what you've always wanted to do?" And I kind of said off the cuff, and I don't know why I said it because I never do. I said, "Oh, actually, no. I played football when I was younger, and that's what I thought it was going to be." Turns out he plays football. He's well into football. We start talking about football. We they we, they walk to the fish and chip van with us. They go their separate ways. As they go our separate ways, they say, "Oh, we'll go and uh, get your book and come back and find you." I said, "Well, that'd be fantastic." Didn't think it would happen. I'm queuing for the fish and chips. They wander over um, with a copy of Ace Angelica and ask me to sign it. And kaboosh! I have sold another book by accident. <laughs> wow! Can you imagine if every book that you sold involved that much personal contact? Can you imagine? Well, that's another interesting topic for another time. But one of the other things that I've been thinking about is how much should you reveal of yourself? What is my responsibility now? And I've been thinking about doing a video for this as well about, about as now I'm a published author, what is it that you want from me, public? Is it different to what it was before? What should I expect to reveal of myself? All those kinds of things. Yeah, totally. You're well into revealing yourself, aren't you? Uh, yep, when I'm performing in tents, mainly. <laughs> Well, it sounds like a, a splendid occasion, and um, I won't ask who sold the most books, because that's not what it's about, is it, Ian? Uh, no, and the answer is probably Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. But it's a great book, so that's fine. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, yeah, so, cool, awesome. Um, are you going to get invited back next year? Um... I, w- I would hope so, but there is a chance I may have had to have had another book written and published by then. I'm not sure if I can go back going, just doing the same thing. But you never know. No, absolutely. Well, if they're looking for um, desperate poets, I um, I might know a couple or one. <laughs> so desperate that you might make yourself a book trailer? Ooh, maybe. Maybe. I mean, at this stage, I'm just... Plumman's still faffing around with my website, aren't I? But yes, book trailers. Oh, yeah. I guess it's quite easy to make book trailers if you're not, if your expectations aren't that high and you're just, you know, happy to record yourself doing things. Then book trailers are quite easy to do, aren't they? But um, but are they are they useful? Are they necessary? Even do they sell books? That's the most important question. Do they sell books? Yeah. Um, have you watched many book trailers? I have to say, I don't. I don't think so, and I didn't really do much research into it before I made my own. Yeah, you just you just freestyled yours because you should say a bit about yours. How long did it take you to do? So I did my book trailer in. I recorded it in about half an hour in your younger brother's bedroom. Oh God, this is all of these stuff things you're saying this week. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And. Um, and then the editing, it was the first time I'd, I'd ever done that kind of, um, I don't even know what the phrase for it is, but where you kind of slice up your videos so that it's really sort of fast-paced and lots of different... If anyone knows what that's called, please tell me, because I, I'm finding myself having to refer to that technique and more and more. Um, but I did that, and it was basically just a list of things that are in my book, some of them stupid, like pickled onions, some of them serious, like um, 
like um, um, I don't know, well, serious illness, for example. So it was just like a, a list of me saying all the different these different things, and then with that, the, the words appearing next to my face. That was it. So all in all, I imagine it took me, I don't know, two or three hours. Yeah, cool. And how's the response been? You've had like a, a thousand odd. Yeah, well, I mean, it's been there for about a year, so that's um, that, that helps. But it's had one that I can tell you, one thousand one hundred and sixteen views, and um, and the po- the reaction has been really positive uh, actually. And I didn't really know what to expect, but most people seem to really like it. I still don't know whether that means they bought the book or not, though. No, and when you were, were going to do it, did you did you imagine that if this is um maybe slightly controversial question did you imagine that if you were like with one of the world's biggest publishers and they had <laughs> money oh i just swore <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh sorry it's obviously the, the illness has just addled my that's my, all right um, we, we can beep it out and i will be sending a request for money around 20 pence for uh that swear into the swear box cool yeah. um I can't even remember why I swore now, but I was talking about, oh, yeah, if they had, like, if, if you had the most enormous budget to put into this kind of thing, or, the, or your publishing company did, would you have liked some kind of bells and whistles animation or had actors and actresses involved in filming something for you? Well, probably. I don't know, because to make it any good, you'd need, a, you'd need not just a budget, you need to pay someone to film it properly. You'd need to pay someone that was actually quite good especially if you're having people actually act stuff out and all of a sudden you need to start well you need to pay people a decent whack for that kind of thing so I did think about doing that so I thought about well I didn't think about hiring um, hiring anyone but I thought about making it more trailer like and kind of filming from um, like a window or something like that across the street, probably from my house across the street, um, and doing a bit of uh, dialogue over the top, or sorry, a bit of narrative uh, from the book over the top, that kind of thing. Mm. But I just thought, oh. in fact, if I remember rightly, this w- this would have been about four to six weeks before the twins were born. So I think I probably thought, I'm either going to do something really quick or I'm not going to do anything at all. And so yeah. I did something really quick. Yeah. Well... Yeah, I know. It's it's a very interesting area because I don't know whether it always comes down to money or how much money, you know, you've got behind you and publishers got behind them and everything. Um, This article I was saying about earlier in The Guardian, um, the guy was saying, actually, I I should find out. Yes, here. I don't even know who wrote it. Oh, I should find out. Anyway, they were saying that they really weren't into book trailers and, um, you know, they like the good old-fashioned getting to know a book by a, a teaser chapter or something and actually reading it in written form rather than being kind of bombarded with visual clues as to what to think of a book or, more particularly for this person, they didn't like the idea that if there were characters in a book that you saw the characters before um, and so you weren't able to make up your own mind or your own ima- use your own imagination to create those characters in your head as you were going through the book. So I guess it's a bit like if you've watched a film of a book before you watch before you read the book, it's impossible not to not to see the characters in the book as those actors and actresses, isn't it? Well, it is, and and this begs the question. I think is why why are we copying something from a visual medium? So the idea of a trailer, to me, well, the, the most famous example is uh, of a trailer for a for a film for a movie, and it's a very visual experience you literally provide clips from the actual film 
and we we seem to be you know the the idea of a book trailer is is sort of just stole, stolen from that it's a sort of direct copy of that type of thing or the the kind of our general idea of what a trailer actually is and it's mm. like you know you know books aren't visibly visible things so why try and implant that on it but then that's why I try to do something slightly different and the other um, example that I've known uh, about or that's got a lot got a lot of attention recently was um, Matt Haig's trailer for the humans yeah which involved people actual readers filming themselves and sending in their their short videos of them reading lines from his book and and it was compiled into a trailer so it was a, had a very kind of well i mean i i don't know how many other book trailers are done like that but it, it seemed quite unique because it was readers although they were young kids actually reading as well so i don't know but, well, lo- yeah. lots of different but that that was the, i think that was what was great about it it showed it kind of in a it shows the breadth of um i guess his readership or fan base if you like and and, and also, um, it had a, a certain warmth to it. It kind of showed the book off without showing off, if that makes sense, which is kind of what I try to do. Because, again, I, maybe this is a writer thing, sort of our desperate need to, on one hand, promote the heck as, out of what we do, but at the same time, not wanting to seem like a show off. For some reason, we're the only people that, the only, we're the only art form that really people question for doing that, really. So, oh, you yeah. shouldn't be promoting your book, you know, if it's a band or something else, someone else does it, it happens all the time. Um, but um, but yeah, so it had a certain warmth about it because it had people reading lines from his books, and you know, presumably people who, well, people from Twitter, but you know, presumably people who've read his other books. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the article in the Guardian links through to a couple of little book trailers, and I can see the problems with one of them because it was, you know, they are making it look exactly like a film trailer, but yeah. for a book. And I can imagine that kind of trailer is quite popular for a certain type of genre of book, maybe like young adult stuff or frimmy stuff do you know what i mean yeah what i was going to say was i'm quite taken actually with book trailers that involve animation and i don't know whether it 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 necessarily has to be for picture books or children's books that use um illustrations in the first place i think i think it's actually really nice it works in a lot of a lot of different cases where you know if some good animation is used with the actual text i think that can be really nice that can be really nice and i can tell you a Cheap way of doing that, if you like. Are you thinking about doing a trailer for? Um, oh, you yeah, will. Um, I mean, if you've, got a, if you've yeah. got a cheap way for me to do it, bring it on. So there's a t- there's an app that you can get for your iPhone, which allows you to do really simple time lapse videos. So, oh yeah. So you, you well, two things. You can either do it, use it to make a time lapse video. So just point it on a scene of some sort, and mm. just let it go for th- however long you want, twenty four hours if you like, and mm. and, it'll, and then it stitch it all together. Um, cool. Or the other thing you can do with it is stop motion, so you can fix it in, a, put it in a fixed position on some kind of thing, and then you can just Wallace and Gromit style move stuff around <laughs> and create a little story or, or whatever you look like. Totally awesome. That's called Framograph. Framograph. Can you please spell that for me and our other listeners? You can find that on the App Store. This is for iOS and um, or for iPhone. I don't know if it's an iPad app as well. It's Framograph, and it's spelled F R A M E O G R A P H. See, thank God you spelled that because I didn't put the E in. Framograph. Good. Excellent. Well, that's really cool. That sounds good. Yeah. Um, I would be interested in messing around. I've certainly thought about filming myself reading poetry in, in different places and um, and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something I'd like to do. Mm-hmm. Actually, talking of Nathan Filer, as we were earlier, 
Um, I was reading on his blog after you'd, um, you told me all about him and everything, and there's a great animation for his book, The Shock of the Fall, on there. And, and yeah, that's, that's, that's a good example of one I think that's nice. I think, I think it's a lovely thing to experiment with if you can, but I think you have, to have a, you have to have either friends in animation or be good at animation or have a publisher that can put money behind it, don't you, to do that kind of thing? Basically, it is a case of you either you either publisher will either pay for you to do it or sort of or pay for it to be done, or you find a way of doing it yourself and um, um, uh, and as cheaply as possible. I think. Yeah, and and this idea about is it necessary because it's a different kind of form? I guess it's important to remember that today's world and the internet in particular is just loaded with text, absolutely loaded, and it's just the way it is pictures and images just draw the eye much quicker and and if you want to get a bite of the cherry you've got to have a a little visual thing probably to go with what you're doing you have and and also um i have i have subscribers on youtube that may have never seen me on anything else or be interested in anything else and they may only be able to find my book through this so they may search for ian broom for some reason on youtube and hopefully one of the things that they'll see first is ian broom as frangelica trailer as opposed to you know one of my videos about writing advice you know i'd much rather they saw that as well as you know it's kind of i guess the question is why would you not if the option is there yeah, definitely. And it's good, you know, if you've got a good presence on YouTube, it's, I, I I would need to get cracking on that because I, I have nothing up there. Nothing. Well, it's not easy, YouTube. I'm, I, I really enjoy doing these videos. I'm going to do more, but it's, um, so it's, uh, it's, it's tough, but good. Yeah. So. Do you know, I just, on a, on a side note, I <laughs> I just realised recently, because my, my book's coming out quite soon, that there is actually another poet called Donna Song. Sorensen, and she writes Christian poetry in America. Oh, sweet Jesus! What's uh, how does she, <laughs> she spell her name? Exactly the same. And I'm like, okay. So, how am I going to differentiate myself? And if you type in Donna Sorensen YouTube, it comes up with, "I'm a Christian poet. I love the Lord with all my heart, and I share through the written word those things He gives to me." <laughs> so, this is going to be interesting. Uh, what 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 are your thoughts? Are you, have you are you planning to um, plow ahead as you are, or is, have you considered changing your name? Well, I haven't no, but um, it's going to be interesting. Maybe I'll just have to um, yeah have to use Christian Donna Sorensen somehow. I'll just have to use her terribly in an unchristian spirit to um, to sell more copies of my book. <laughs> How are you going to do that? I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've, I've thought about it by next week, all right? Just turn up at her events, pretend to be her, and then try to scarp before she actually arrives. Totally, yeah, do all that kind of stuff. Oh, anyway, as long as I don't call my YouTube page Spirit of Victory, which is what hers is called, I should be all right. I'll just have to uh, get cracking on making it. Anyway, yes. so we reckon book trailers can be useful, but we shouldn't get too caught up in it all or what? My, my my final word on this is that I wouldn't worry too much if you don't have one because I don't think that they necessarily sell a huge amount of books. However, on the other hand, if you can do one relatively cheaply and quickly or if your publisher is prepared to pay for it, then what's the harm? Why not have a presence on YouTube or Vimeo or wherever it might be? Splendid. Good. Have I got time to talk about the last thing? Well, we're probably going to have to shift should authors review other authors' books into next week, but that's fine because I'll have time to think about it more and I might do that video in the meantime. 
Um, but we can quickly talk about um, um, uh, how we go about writing our stuff logistically, I think. Oh, yeah, cool. Because otherwise I've got you... nothing else to talk about for the remaining five to ten minutes. <laughs> but that's cool. Um, I, um, as you know, I, I write poetry, but I, I did think that I'd come up with this great idea for a novel quite a few years back. And I sat down and I had these big sheets of A3 paper and I like started with this blooming mind map thing. And in the center, I had like the main character. And then I was like building up his life around it. And then I just was, it just got like spiraled out of control totally about where he'd been, who his family were, what, what, you know, what his favorite car was, all this kind of stuff. And it just got ridiculous. And I thought, I can't, I've just completely lost the, the, even the desire to write about this person now. Isn't that ridiculous? No, I think that's quite common, and I think that's something that I, I, I've tried to avoid. But I know that a lot of people do use that exact technique, that they will absolutely have everything mapped out and sketched out, and they'll have, as you just described, like a character sketch where they literally list exactly what this person is like. So they might not include the detail of what car they drive, but the author knows it. My approach when yeah. I wrote Ace Angelica was kind of the opposite. I felt like I was getting to know the characters as I was writing it, and it was only and and it was only the further I got in, the more I would go back and say, actually, I think he may have said or done this at, at that point that I wrote earlier. And I felt like I wanted I, for me it was more of a, an organic process rather than a, a completely planned and mapped out thing. Yeah, and that's really interesting because. I guess it's okay if you, you know, in the first book about that person. I guess it's when you start, you know, things turn into a series probably and you start needing that continuity and being sure about something, I guess, that you'd have to go and, and make sure that the backstory's all right. Well, you need to, for, for the novel, you need to do that anyway. I found that that was by far the biggest challenge was making sure they all made sense. And in my case, I had to make sure that the time frame was plausible for someone to... Um, for someone suffering with uh, for someone who'd had a stroke to not get proper medical attention, I had to make sure that the time frame was really correct and and right. So there was loads of that kind of going back and checking the structure and and all that kind of thing. Mm. I mean, what, what do you do with your poems? Have you because you you have this, you're, you're releasing your first collection, but were you thinking of them as individual parts of a collection when you were writing each poem, or were you just writing a, a poem for its own? <laughs> merit or sake well definitely for the first couple of years I was just writing the poems as they came to me and then I'd say in the last the last couple of years it was more I imagined things fitting together a bit more and, and whether they fitted into a general theme which um which has turned out to be kind of voluntary exile and being away from your homeland and what a home is and and it, or, you know belonging that kind of thing um but that's a very loose theme because I've written all sorts of poems within that. Um, but yeah, a poem is, is is so not always spontaneous, but I guess it's more spontaneous that you have an idea, or it might just be a line, a first line that you've thought of, or it might be an image or a, something from history. Um, I just find it's much easier to start because you can sit down. I I don't know how you organise your writing, but I have everything. All my writing is on files in the computer, like all my. If I've written children's picture books, they've got their own files. Each poem, I have a poem um, folder. Then I have a draft poem folder. So poems only get moved into the poem folder when I've worked on them uh, enough times and I consider them to no longer be drafts, if if that makes sense. Um, So I can always go back to my draft poem folder and see what still needs to be worked on. Um, 
but sometimes I sit down and I finish them in just a few hours other ones I go back to again and again and it takes ages so it's very different from poem to poem um I don't know whether working on different novels would be like that actually because you probably going to do this the same way as you did your first one your, your second novel aren't you well, I don't think I can, and I think this is how I was basically going to answer Linus's question. I don't think I'm going to be able to write um, the book in the same way because, I, I, first of all, it took, it took me a long time, and I don't have the luxury of having not been published, um, so I can't. You know, no one knows who you are, so it doesn't matter how long it takes. Now I have uh, a book out there, and and um, you know. The publisher, the the or the my agent, or you know, people want to see stuff. People who've read my first book want to see another book. I don't want to just be forgotten. So it's Mm. it's important that I get a shift on. So I need to have more urgency. And one of the things I, as I, I think I've just alluded to, is I didn't really do a huge amount of outlining with characters, but also just in general, I'd written quite a lot before I thought actually I better stop planning what happens. I didn't know what the end was going to be. Um, and it was only after so so far in, at least half half in, where I started thinking actually I better plan what happens a few chapters down the line. So I would ha- I would have sketches, excuse me, I would have sketches for maybe four or five chapters in front, but I wouldn't have anything beyond that. I would have a good idea. It's not like I was going completely blind, but I didn't have it all completely laid out in front of me, and it was just a case of joining the dots. It wasn't like that at all. Um, now, of course couple of years down the line i have children a mortgage um all sorts of uh, responsibilities and um and, and i'm tired a lot and i know that sounds like quite a quite a, an obvious thing to do and i'm slightly older so when you're in your mid-20s and you you, you know you're I, I was working and stuff but it was no big deal if i was up until two o'clock in the morning i can't i honestly cannot do that anymore i'm, I'm absolutely shattered um so I have to find another way of doing it. And one of the questions that one of the examples that Linus used in his tweet was um, uh, writing out of order. So do I write out of order? So this is one of the big changes I think for me logistically is that I wrote in complete linear order. I wrote from I wrote the book from start to finish entirely, and I would sit down and if I couldn't get the next paragraph correct, then I would work on it until I did, which is partly why it took me so long. Now, uh, my the way I'm doing it now, apart from, um, and I don't know if this is what um, Linus was really asking about, but I'm, I'm using the iPad to write quite a lot, um, and Scrivener, so I'm syncing the two together, different podcast, um, and, and, and I'm kind of just writing whatever comes to mind, so I basically got few thousand words and they are separated into paragraphs and short passages and at the moment I don't know if they're going to be in the order that they're in in fact I know that they're not I'm going to be moving them around a bit more so I'm literally trying to be a bit like you said with poetry a bit more spontaneous I'm thinking right I've got an idea for a paragraph if it's just a line or a phrase I get it down and then I work around it and I may only write for 20 minutes um, it's very rare now that I'm going to get three four hours on the trot where I can just sit and write so I'm just snatching time where I can not worrying oh, too much about what I do and just getting it down there. I can totally see the, the benefit of the writing retreats. I'll tell you that for nothing now with kids. Yes. But um, do you, when you're sitting down with a novel, do you, are you conscious of kind of like 
that story arc, you know, like how the story where you should have the, the you know, whatever, all the different parts of the uh, traditionally of a story, like where all the action should happen. And then when you think there's going to be some kind of conclusion, all this kind of thing. Do you think about that? Or does that come quite naturally? I think I'm going to think about that a lot more. I think that some people think about it to the to extremely rigidly, like they will literally, I imagine, have some sort of graph written down. You know, the, the people talk about the, is it the six phases of a story i don't even know i yeah. will, i did it almost entirely on instinct and that makes me either sound like an idiot or a massive show-off but i basically just did whatever kind of felt right i've read an awful lot of books if it felt like a piece of dialogue was needed then it was needed if it felt like um it felt like something dramatic had to happen then it had to happen but then i think that something and I know that I've written a piece of literary fiction, and I know that it's only about a suburban neighbourhood, but something happens in every chapter. I think there is something in every chapter that hopefully makes you kind of uh, as it makes the makes the reader kind of take notice or feel like the story has mm-hmm. moved on. And that might not be the case for everyone. I'm not saying that I've definitely achieved that, but that was my that was kind of my aim. And through aiming to do that i think that it, it you know you can work on instincts and it can come quite naturally yeah i um i should probably go back and have another go at that novel and just not even worry so much about planning everything before before well, it, it happens what well, we need to we do need to wrap up and we can i think we should talk about this a little more next time but the idea of worrying about this idea of whether you should have the whole thing planned out or whether you should just write i think is really interesting and, and just write i reckon just write yes um, I think it's a really interesting uh, area and and mainly because of the word you just used, which is worrying. So I, it's been a while now and I know that I've got lots of excuses for why, I've not, um, why I'm not romping through my um, second novel and I'm only just sort of in the earlier stages. But apart from all those other excuses, real life excuses, there has also been an awful lot of worry about on, on my part about how the hell I'm going to do it. How, not, not just how am I going to find the time, but how am I going to structure it? Do I need to completely change the way I write because I've got? I feel like I need to do it much quicker, um, and 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 I, I think it's a really interesting area. So maybe we can hand that one over to next week as well. Cool. And maybe you can do some more talking. <laughs> well, can I? Well, not if I've got anything to do with it. <laughs> oh, doing all right. We're doing all right. Indeed. We had a nice piece of feedback. I can say this towards the end, but I can't find it. I think that, um, that either I imagined it or the tweet may have been deleted. <laughs> I changed their mind the minute for another literary podcast where two people rambled about stuff. Yeah, and swore. Oh, come on, once. Well. And I did say vomit, but we said that didn't count. Not really Good. swearing. Not swearing. In fact, not swearing. It's very, very sort of um, descriptive, but nothing more. Yeah, cool. Well, I'm glad I made it through. Thanks. Good yeah. work. Um, where can people find you on Twitter? Don, Don underscore S underscore Sorensen. I, I sound like a broken record, broken record, but oh, look, I really sounded like a broken record then because I was <laughs> twice. That was mad. Oh, um, because I am doing my website and I'm going to do um, a, a Facebook author page. And now I'm also going to make sure I've got like loads of presence on YouTube and all that kind of jazz too. Excellent. Let me know if you need a hand. And um, you can find me on the internet at... So you can find other episodes of the podcast either on 70despels.com because that's the network that the Right for Your Life podcast is part of or you can find them on my website at 
com slash podcast or if you want to read the blog um, of the podcast which is just my blog um, ianbroom.com forward slash blog or if you want to find me on twitter and give us some feedback um, it's um, at Ian Broom, and I recommend that you do so we are getting more and more people are starting to interact with us I'd like this if it, I think the new format does encourage more conversation a lot of podcasts do just kind of it is a one-way stream of you know this is what we have to say and why don't you uh, shut up and listen to it whereas I would like this to be much more um, uh, involved the audience so if you have suggestions for topics if you think something we've said is hugely ludicrous or wrong or if you just want to agree or say nice things then that's fine if you want to start a campaign to get Donna to change her Twitter handle that's also fine (laughs) yeah it's not going to take much just a good suggestion of what it should be called will be good (laughs) indeed right that's it i shall speak to you next week